Our second reading is as on the screen on page 937 of the Church Bibles. It's Proverbs 23, and it's one of the series of sayings, of 30 sayings of the wise. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine. Those who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Let me pray as we get into this topic and I'll use the words of Psalm 49. Uh, Dear Lord, I pray my mouth will speak your words of wisdom and the meditation of my heart will be guided by your spirit and give understanding. Amen. Our culture sends very mixed messages when it comes to alcohol. So we can watch one news story uh, glorifying people getting drunk as proof of everyone having a good time. And then two minutes later, we'll cut to another story about teen binge drinking or another fatal car accident involving drink driving or another woman who has been killed by her drunk intimate partner. And there's no sense of recognition or responsibility for how one might be contributing to the other. Uh, When we normalise and celebrate and encourage getting drunk, some will inevitably cross a line. Uh, Actually, lots will inevitably cross a line, but some choices will have profound consequences. Uh, It might be a violent line or a drink-driving line. Uh, More often, it's a relational line. I appreciate drunk people think they're funny and drunk people think other drunk people are funny, but for everyone else, it's embarrassing and awkward and things are said and done that cannot be undone. But it doesn't even have to be as dramatic as that. It can be home alone. Uh, when no one else is directly involved. But we spiral into an unhealthy dependence on alcohol to feel better about life. So we're talking about what Proverbs says about alcohol, but I'm going to use Proverbs as a bit of a launching pad to look more broadly at what the Bible has to say about alcohol. And it's really just more of a highlights reel. Uh, But before we do that, I want to acknowledge that for some, this topic is more personal than for others. It might be that you're living with the consequences of your own alcohol choices uh, or perhaps the behaviour of others. Uh, You might be struggling with the temptation of alcohol right now or perhaps you're not struggling. Uh, Perhaps you are fully gripped by addiction. Uh, Can I say, if that is you and you need some help or support or accountability, then we are here for you. 
And no one is going to be self-righteous or judgmental or superior because we've all got our issues and we've all got our struggles with sin. So let's see what the Bible says and the rules when it comes to alcohol. So on the affirming side, alcohol is a good gift from God. So as an example, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Or more broadly, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts. But on the warning side, we've got our passage from this morning. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine. And to our first reading, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, which I won't quote, but it lists drunkenness as one of the works of the flesh that's contrary to God's Spirit, to contradiction to who we are in Christ. And Paul goes on to say that those who get habitually drunk as if it is good and God-honouring, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So our consumption of alcohol is a health issue, it's a social issue, but it's also a sin and salvation issue. Unfortunately, the Bible warns us about not stepping over the line and it warns us about the consequences of stepping over the line but not so much about how to spot the line in the first place, which kind of begs the question, how much can I drink before I cross that line into drunk? And really, it's the wrong question to ask, isn't it? How close to the line can I get? Uh, The answer is you you don't work out how close you can get to the cliff's edge. You work out what's a safe distance in the first place. But let's at least reflect on that for a minute. What, What sort of rules could we have and are they helpful? So the Australian government, for example, recommends no more than 10 standard drinks a week and no more than four standard drinks in a day. The guidelines for driving is two standard drinks in the first hour and one standard drink after that. Uh, They're helpful. Uh, If we're exceeding those types of numbers, then it should help us to stop and think. But we can't use rules as a substitute for discernment. And you might be able to legally go around a corner at 80 k's, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should, particularly if you got your licence last week and it's raining. And it's the same with alcohol. Uh, The guiding principle, I think, for me, is in terms of how much, is control. Right from the start, even before we have a drink, are we in control and able to say no? When we have a drink, are we clearly and observably and irrefutably still in control of our words and our behaviour? And are we still able to discern the impact of our choices? Uh, So rule number one, don't get drunk. Uh, Rule number two, obey the law of the land. And that comes out of our commitment as Christians to honour the law and honour those who've been given authority. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. 
And the law of the land says you can't consume, buy or consume alcohol under the age of 18 unless you're accompanied by a parent or a guardian. And the research says that the less parents contribute to their kids drinking alcohol before 18, the better. So I think often as parents we think, you know, it's just a sip, it's a harmless sip, it doesn't really do anything. But over time it actually builds a narrative. Uh, But rule number three is the one that is often the most overlooked, and particularly because it's not black and white, and so it requires wisdom. And the rule is, don't cause others to stumble. So if we get drunk, that is clearly going to have an impact on others and how they view us and how they view our commitment to Christ. And it's impossible, isn't it, to commend Christ if our behaviour and our example commends the sinful values of our world. If people look at us and they look at the world and they don't see any difference, then how can we turn round and profess Christ? But even when it's not about getting drunk, we need to consider how our example impacts others. So coming back to our children again, we need to think about how we model consuming alcohol around our children, how we talk about alcohol, because our children are watching and learning, and over time, our attitudes start to become their attitudes. But more generally, our example can also impact the faith of those observing us. And so in the words of Romans, all food is clean but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So in the context of this passage, we're talking specifically about Christians who find drinking unnerving or unsettling for their own commitment to Christ. Uh, Years ago, uh, our family uh, spent some time in Tanzania Uh, one of our children is in that picture somewhere at the back. And uh, we're in Western Tanzania, we're working with local churches. And in that culture, it is unacceptable for Christians to drink at all. Uh, So any consumption of alcohol is viewed as sinful. And even if you're not a Christian in that culture, it'd be difficult to respect a Christian who chose to drink. So in that sort of situation... Our love for others trumps our freedom because we don't want anything to get in the way of the gospel. Closer to home, uh, perhaps the vulnerable person is someone who views alcohol as an issue of sin. Or perhaps they've experienced their own struggles with alcohol or see the impact of alcohol on their family and when they observe Christians drinking or talking about it frivolously then it sounds particularly worldly and particularly callous. How could these Christians not care about alcohol and how it's impacting so many lives? And this is where we need wisdom. Because Paul, who wrote, Do not cause anyone to stumble, also wrote, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And those two statements are a little bit like Proverbs, because sometimes the right thing and the loving thing is different depending on the people involved and the context. 
Uh, For those who choose abstinence as a personal choice rather than as an issue of stumbling, can I encourage you to be gracious about your choice and not use it as an excuse to look down on those who do choose to drink? And for everyone else, can I encourage us to make choices starting with the other person in mind? Uh, So to put it all together... Uh, We are free to consume alcohol within the limits of the law, but don't get drunk and don't be a stumbling block for others. Uh, For those who like the the visual version of things, let me see if I can put it this way. On one end, we have abstinence. On the other, we have getting drunk. And in between those two ends of the spectrum, we have the responsible consumption of alcohol. But even then, we need to think about what is lawful And we need to think about the vulnerable. But the biggest focus in Proverbs is warning us about the practical dangers of getting drunk. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. And the point isn't that different drinks produce different antisocial behaviour. The point is alcohol brings out the worst in us. It can bring out the worst in our speech where we cross the line between laughing with someone and laughing at someone. And when we drink, we lose our capacity to recognise the difference. And often we excuse it by saying things like, you know, I was only joking. But actually is too much truth in jest. And often those words escalate into arguments and sometimes they tip into violence. And when that happens, it's not just the drunk person getting hurt, it's the friend or the wife or the girlfriend, and less often, but sometimes, the husband or the boyfriend. So it has a big impact on our relationships, and potentially it has a big impact on our finances. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Partly they become poor because they spend too much money on alcohol, But the drinking also impedes our capacity to make other good choices. Uh, So in our state of footloose and carefree, let's spend some money and have a good time. Or why not spend just a little bit of money on the pokies or perhaps a few dollars on the horses. And then when things go sideways, we get desperate, we start throwing good money after bad. And we don't see the foolishness because our capacity to see... And our state of mind has been impaired. And then to choose one more from Ephesians, uh, from the passage we read earlier, drunkenness leads to debauchery. And debauchery is any type of excess or excessive unrestrained behaviour, but we mostly associate it with sexual behaviour. So sexual desire combined with a lack of inhibition, combined with opportunity, all create the perfect mix for sin. Banter becomes flirting, becomes desire, becomes adultery. So we know the rules. We know that getting drunk is bad for us. But despite knowing all of that, we still feel, for many, that powerful temptation to push the boundaries and to overindulge and then step over the line. So we're talking about the line between responsible and drunk. And why do we do it? Now, let me suggest seven motivations. 
uh, that tempt us to step over the line and then down the wrong path. Now, these are just my opinion, but if we can think through what's influencing us on the inside, then we can work out how to regroup and then get back on the right path. And so here's what I think are seven big influences. Number one is social conformity. Uh, we perhaps feel that most acutely when we are younger, but we all want to fit in. We all want to be, feel part of things. And we don't want to be the person who is sort of the, the killer of the vibe and the killer of fun. Uh, so it's just easy to go with the flow. Uh, number two, if we feel gladdened after a little, then we figure we'll feel even gladder after a lot. Or we like the feeling and we don't want to lose the feeling and so we keep chasing the feeling by having more and more. And number three, we use alcohol to overcome fear. Uh, So it might be our fear in social situations where we feel awkward, but if we have a few drinks, then we feel a little more relaxed, more confident, more willing to be a little crazy. And we like that feeling of being uninhibited. Uh, Number four, uh, it dulls our pain. It might dull the pain of loneliness or feeling like we're a bit of a failure in whatever part of life we feel we're failing, or perhaps to dull the pain of losing someone we love. Uh, Tragically, alcohol is a depressant, so the more we consume, the more despairing we become. Number five, it dulls our conscience. We know what we want to do, we know we shouldn't do it, and alcohol conveniently helps us get over the line. So it's not only that we cross the line in terms of our drunkenness, it removes the impediment to crossing other lines. And then related to number five, number six, drinking too much gives us plausible deniability. We can justify our behaviour later by saying it wasn't my fault. If my flirtatious advances are rebuffed or if I go too far sexually, even consensually, I can always blame alcohol, even if I'm just justifying it to myself. And finally, number seven, which builds on all the rest, and that's addiction. Now, whatever motivation we started off with, getting drunk now feels like an irresistible force and it becomes an end in itself. So if we genuinely see alcohol as simply pleasure to be enjoyed in moderation and nothing more, then that's great. Uh, Enjoy, be thankful, be wise. But if we can see ourselves in those scenarios, crossing the line and heading down a path, then whether we've walked down that path a long way or a little, we need to work out a way back. So if our consumption of alcohol has become an acceptable sin, then we need to acknowledge that before God. He is righteous, but he is also slow to anger, full of compassion, and he's already sent his son to deal with our sin. And he is standing there and he is offering forgiveness if we're willing to accept it. And if we fall off the wagon again, he is still there, He still loves us and he is still willing to forgive. Now, that's not an invitation or an encouragement to be complacent about our sin, but it's good to know that forgiveness is always available. 
if we are genuinely sorry for our sin and genuinely repentant. But once we've dealt with our sin, we still need to go back to what's fueling that temptation in the first place and rethink how we view ourselves and where we find our security and identity. And if you are a Christian, then we need to recognise that God offers a better way. And it's alluded to in our Ephesians passage where he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. If we really want to deal with our insecurities and our hurts and our temptations, then as Christians, we need to come back to who we are in Christ. That might have been who we were once before, but that is not who we are now. And so we need to come back to what it means to be righteous, to fear the Lord, to trust the Lord and to obey the Lord. And thankfully to recognise that God's spirit is the one helping us do that. And wisdom when it comes to alcohol is listening to the rules and the dangers and the temptations and recognising that Christ offers us a better way, a more constructive way, a more lasting solution to all of these feelings that we're either trying to capture or we're trying to escape. And then things get a whole lot easier still when we put them together with good friendships and relationships and when we live out our faith in fellowship with one another, where we're all trying to honour Christ. Because what we end up with is this positive, mutually reinforcing relationships where others are influencing us and we are influencing them for the better. Uh, So our friendships become an asset rather than a liability and another temptation. Now, alcohol is tough. Uh, It is a good gift from God, but like so many good things, it so easily becomes abused and destructive. And the rules are not simply don't get drunk. Uh, We also need to think about why we're tempted, how our drinking impacts others. And the most important question of all, how does our drinking honour Christ? Amen.